topic of today's message is called Signs in the Sky. And we're going to be throughout the scripture this morning. You can see the scriptures on the back of your bulletin. Um, tells you where to start, but we're going to start out in Luke chapter 21. If you want to flip over there in your Bibles. So last week we started this new series called The Return of the King. And last week we talked about seven specific signs that are coming right now from the nation of Israel, signaling that Jesus is getting ready to return soon. And I would tell you to go listen to that on SoundCloud, but unfortunately the audio got corrupted from last week's message. But if you missed it, you can still see me uh, doing it from my office on the church Facebook page. Now, anyone who reads their Bible, anyone who really is into studying biblical prophecy, can see that the signs are pointing that Jesus is getting ready to return. If that's the case, we have a lot to learn. Because we're standing on the precipice of the last decade of life as we know it here on earth. So over the next four weeks, we're going to do this crash course on biblical prophecy. If you've been attending our midweek services, a lot of this is going to be familiar to you because we've been studying the book of Revelation for the last year or so when we've had Wednesday night services. So we're going to walk through that, the events of the final decade or so of life as we know it. And today we're going to be focusing on one more set of signs that may be coming up in this last decade. One quick caveat. Jesus himself said that no one knows the day or hour of his return. So I'm not setting dates here. I'm not saying that this all begins Tuesday at 5. Okay? The fact that I probably just said it begins Tuesday at 5 means it probably won't begin Tuesday at 5. Okay? Jesus has left us in that kind of tension for a reason. Because he knows darn well that if the rapture was going to happen at Tuesday at 5, we would all sin until Tuesday at 4.30 and then try to get right with him. So he leaves us kind of in that tension to not allow our human nature to, to take control over us. And I point that out about what God says about the end times, just for that reason, and why it's beginning to look a, a lot more and more that we're getting close. So I'm not a prophet. I've said that before. I'm not a son of a prophet. Like you, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian who reads his Bible. And in the Bible, I'm starting to see some things that line up in a very interesting way that points us that we may be entering those end times. So hopefully you're ready to do some learning and digging into God's word, but let's start out in prayer. Father God, we just ask, Lord, that the Spirit move in each one of us this morning that the Word of God is illuminated by the Spirit of God to produce the fruit that God wants in each one of our lives. That it not be something that brings fear, that doesn't bring dread, that doesn't bring a sense of apprehension about the future, but it is something, Lord, that we can point to and say, yes, Lord, come quickly. As we see the chaos that is our world, as we see the tearing down of things that were that seem to be so sure in our lives that we just see it as what you have already said was going to come to pass. And we will put more and more faith into what your word says. Father God, I just ask that you open our hearts, minds, and spirits this morning to hear from your word. And I ask this in your name. Amen. 
Now, in a few verses right before Luke 21, 24 that we're going to start out, the disciples asked, what will be the sign of the things that are about to take place? Just like in Matthew 24, Luke 21, is their parallel passages, he, the disciples ask, what is going to happen? What are the signs that we can look for that's going to point to your return? And Jesus answers them, and it should be noted that he's answering them on a personal level. So he's speaking to the disciples here who are what? Jewish men. So he's speaking to Jewish people very specifically right here, I believe, in, in Luke 21, 24, when he says that they, meaning Jewish people, will be killed by the sword and be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And then there's a little pause in the narrative there. And then Jesus says, there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. Well, that's very interesting. I kind of think that Jesus, being the Word of God, being the, the very force that inspired the people who wrote the Bible, was thinking specifically of Psalm 19 when he said this. Psalm 19.1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of His hands. And now listen to this, verse 2. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. So there is something about God using what is in space, what is in the sky, the sun, the moon, and the stars that speaks to us. It's saying that God is constantly communicating with us all the time. You know, we have some nice weather coming up this week. Temperatures in the 70s, clear skies. It would be good for us one of these nights, once that sun goes down for an hour or two, to walk out in your backyard or maybe take a drive a little bit outside the city and go and just sit on the hood of your car or lay down in the grass and just look up at the sky for a moment. Turn off the phones, turn off the electronics, get off social media, don't tweet that you're doing it. Just go and let God speak to you as you just consider the, the heavens, as you consider the, sun, the, the moon, the stars, the constellations, and just, be, and just soak up in the awesomeness of God. If you do that, you're going to get a sense that there is a marvelous creator behind everything we see. God is communicating in the sky all the time. As we just read, the heavens declare the glory of God. But sometimes his communion is more specific and direct than others. And that is what Jesus is talking about here in Luke 21 when he says that towards the time of my return, I'm going to send you signals using the sun, the moon, and the stars as my communication device. And you might be thinking, well, how is he going to do that? How, how is he going to use the stars to speak to us? Hardly anybody, unless you're an astronomer, even looks at the stars anymore. We're all busy looking at a little five-inch screen right in front of our faces. Why do I think he's going to do that? Because God operates in patterns. You see patterns throughout the entire Bible. And what is the thing that he used to announce his son's first return? A star. What do you think he's going to use to announce his son's second return? 
something in the heavens, some type of astronomical phenomenon to get our attention. Let's look at the first moment. You remember the wise men said that they knew the king was going to be born because they saw his star in the east. Now when it says that, it means that they were in the east looking west and saw the star. So follow me for a moment. Over the centuries, we as human beings have studied the stars. We've given names to many stars and many of the constellations in the sky. Constellations are just patterns of stars that look like things. We've even named the eight planets in our solar system. Yes, there's only eight now. They demoted Pluto. But most of us here probably don't give that a lot of thought. I mean, after all, we live right here on Earth. And Earth seems to be a pretty big place just on its own. I just, I happened to Google it when I was going through my message this morning again and how long it would take to drive from Los Angeles to New York City. It would take over 40 hours of straight driving. No stops, no rest areas, nothing, just straight driving. That's a lot of distance to cover. I thought, wow, the Earth is pretty big. But then I started looking around the solar system a little bit. Jupiter is our largest planet in the solar system. It is called the king planet because it's the largest. Inside of the king planet, you can fit over 1,300 Earths. 1,300 planets the size of Earth could fit inside Jupiter. One of the brightest stars in the sky after the sun that we have, that we rotate around, is called Regulus. It's called the king star. It's three times the size of our sun. And our sun fits over 1,000 Jupiters inside of it. Or 1.3 million Earths. Regulus exists within the constellation Leo. It's mostly in the southwestern sky. It's called the king constellation because it's, it's, it's shaped kind of like a lion. Leo contains stars that are hundreds of light years away. Anybody know how far a light year is? It's pretty far. One light year is 5.879 quadrillion miles. That's 12 zeros. This isn't just, now I bring this up, I'm not giving you just a science lesson. It just has meaning to us as Bible-believing Christians. Because now let's go back to 3 B.C., when the wise men saw their star. Now, if you're watching the star from the Earth's perspective, you would have seen the following phenomenon. And they can prove this scientifically. The planet Jupiter, as it's moving through the sky at night, it's actually the Earth rotating, but it looks like the the stars are moving. As you're watching this from Earth's perspective, you would have seen the following phenomenon. The planet Jupiter passes over the top of Regulus in the constellation Leo. The king star passes, or the planet Jupiter, the king planet, passes over the king star. It did that two more times over the next couple months. In astronomy, which is a study of stars, this is called a crowning. When one bright planet passes over another planet, it looks kind of like it was being crowned. So Jupiter crowned Regulus in the constellation of Leo. So between 3 B.C. and 2 B.C., the king planet crowned the king star in the king constellation. So the astronomers in the east, when they were looking at this, said, king, 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 something is about to happen. You want your mind blown just a little bit more? Consider 
that how far Regulus is away from us. They didn't know this back in Jesus' day, but the light from Regulus would take 80 years to reach earth. So God had something 80 years in the making when Jesus was going to come and set it up so it appeared at this exact moment. Now, to me, that blows my mind that God is causing planets out way out in the universe to form up in such a way to speak to us here on earth. The rest of the stars in Leo are even further away, and their light would take even farther or longer to reach us. The wise men of Persia, again, were astronomers. They saw this happen. They knew what it meant. You say, well, how do they know what it would mean? These men are the direct descendants of the same people who were taught by Daniel the prophet. Remember, they came from Bab- the area around Babylon. And Daniel was the chief wise man, if you will, inside Babylon. He would have taught them exactly what they were supposed to be looking for when the king of kings would arrive. So when these eastern astronomers saw the crowning of the king by the king in the king constellation, they gathered up their gifts and mounted their camels and followed its star, this star to its western migration, which led them to Israel. Now, here's something else that happened at the same time. They followed the planet Jupiter, which is the king planet again, and it came very close in the sky to the planet Venus. So close, in fact, it looked like they merged. And when that happened, you had the brightest star in the sky next to the sun meet up with the brightest planet in the sky. And it looked like they merged as one. And it would have been like quadrupling the brightness of looking at this, these two planets. This merger, by the way, took place inside the constellation of Virgo. Do you know what Virgo is? I don't know if anybody's into astrology, hopefully not, but astrology tells us that Virgo is the virgin. So the king and the virgin came together and shone brightly in the night sky. Probably at the time of Jesus um, being placed inside of Mary. Now you can see how the heavens can tell a story for those who are looking, or how it can signal an event. And that's what Jesus is talking about in Luke 21 when he said that there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. God announced the first coming of his son by forecasting it in the stars 2,000 years ago. He's announcing the second coming of his son by forecasting it in the stars today. And you might think, well, how is he doing that? Well, we talked about a moment ago that Matthew 24 is a parallel passage to Luke 21. In other words, it's the same general story being told by two different people with two different uh, perspectives on what was said. Luke didn't actually hear Jesus saying it. It probably came from Peter or probably came from Paul who heard it from Peter. So he was relaying the same story and telling it in a way that Gentile, Luke would tell it in a way that Gentiles would understand, while Matthew was speaking directly to Jewish people. So they are the same general um, words that Jesus was saying here. Now if you turn to Matthew 24 and verse 29, it describes four events that are yet to come. It says that the sun will be darkened, 
and the moon will not shed its light. This is verse 29, if I didn't say that. The stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So there are four cosmic events that are going to happen that foreshadow the end of days. One is that the sun will be darkened. We believe that he was speaking of a solar eclipse here. The second is the moon will not shed its light. That happens during a lunar eclipse. A third one is the stars will fall from the sky. This might be meteor showers or different things that we'll look at in just a moment. And the fourth is the powers of the heavens will be shaken. A lot of different interpretations for that. Some people believe it means spiritual warfare. Some people believe it means a few other things that we'll touch on in a moment. And we may not be able to understand everything illuminated in this verse, but let me tell you what we do know. Now, according to Jewish tradition, every or solar eclipses are signals about the Gentile nations. And lunar eclipses are signals about the Jewish nation. Reason for that is that the Jewish people follow the lunar calendar. The Gentiles, us, we follow the Julian calendar made by Julius Caesar, which is the solar calendar. So they focus on the moon for their dates. We focus on the sun for our dates. Religiously, of course. Obviously, the nation of Israel follows the Julian calendar now. But religiously, they follow the lunar. So that's a little context before we go any further. Now, Jesus starts talking about signs in the sky after that happen after the following happens here on earth. And you see this in Matthew 24, verse 5. Jesus starts talking about things like wars and rumors of wars. He starts talking about nations rising up against nations. He starts talking about false prophets appearing on the scene. A rise in lawlessness and the love of many growing cold. Does that sound like the evening news? So we see that some of the things in Matthew 24 may already be coming to pass. Jumping down to verse 29 again, he starts talking about signs in the heaven. The first sign he talks about is that there will be a solar eclipse that, that means something to the nations. Now you say, well, there's solar eclipses all the time. Every time the sun comes between the, or the moon comes between the sun and the earth, there's an eclipse. Well, there's only a certain eclipses that pass over land. The majority of them pass over the ocean, and nobody sees them unless you're a sailor. If you can remember back a few years ago, I remember this very clearly. August 21st, 2017, our nation spent an entire day tracking a solar eclipse that moved across the United States. Anybody remember that? I remember standing on the helipad of the hospital. I was working that day with a pair of welding glasses that somebody for maintenance gave me watching the, the eclipse as it happened. It was, it was pretty neat. I liked watching that. The last time there was a full continental eclipse of the, moon, or of the sun over our nation was June 8th, 1918. What was going on June 8th, 20, 1918? Well, right after that, the Spanish flu hit our nation and caused a lot of sickness. That flu pandemic infected 20% of the world's population and resulted in 675,000 American deaths, 40 million worldwide. 
Before the solar e 1918 solar eclipse, there was another solar eclipse that spanned our entire nation. That eclipse took place on November 30th, 1776. 1776, sound familiar? Birth of our nation. So the first continental solar eclipse as a nation took place in 1776, the second in 1918, the third just three years ago. Would you like to guess when the next solar eclipse will happen? About three years from now. April 8th, 2024. By the way, that's going to be the last day, New Year's Eve, on the Jewish calendar, if you were to look at their calendar, which is exactly two weeks before the Jewish Holy Day of Passover, which is a time when the Jews would be selecting the lamb for the sacrifice if they had a temple to sacrifice in. Now I admit, some of this may be coincidence, but I kind of believe that God is trying to tell us something. Remember, solar eclipses are a bunch of Gentiles. That's you and me unless you have Jewish blood in your, in your veins right now. Lunar eclipses are signs for the Jews. Matthew said that the sun will darken and the moon will not shed its light. So there will be lunar eclipses that point to the coming of Christ again. In the prophet um, Joel, in Joel uh, chapter 2, verse 30, it says, I, God speaking, I will display wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Anybody actually stayed up late enough to see a lunar eclipse? Unfortunately, they usually happen at 2 in the morning, so... Most of us are in bed. But if you ever stayed up and watched one, the moon actually turns red when it hits its full eclipse. And it looks exactly like the color of blood. Now, four times over the last 500 years, there have been four blood moons that fell on Jewish holidays over a two-year period of time. Theologians call these four blood moons a tetrad. The first tetrad happened in 1492 and 1493 under King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella of Spain. Anybody, any history buffs know what 1492 is? Columbus discovery in America. You say, well, what the, was he, was, are we just looking all at America here? No, because lunar eclipses are a sign for the Jew. And to the Jew, 1492 has a very different significance. During that time, the Roman Catholic Church was severely persecuting the Jews. And the Jews all fled to Spain. And they were pretty much just being their own little um, enclave, own little sub-nation within the, the area of Spain. Well, 1492 was when Ferdinand and Isabella kicked them out and sent them back out to the nations where they faced all kinds of persecution again. So that first tetrad was to the Jew something very bad. But it's not always something very bad because the second tetrad that's happened in modern history happened in um, 1949. What happened in 1948? Israel becomes a nation. They get their homeland back, for the most part. They got most of their homeland back. But it took a while for all the Jews to get there and to set up their national government, which was actually founded in 1949. So the second tetrad signaled the coming back together of the Jewish nation. 
Guess when the third tetrad happened? 1967. Anybody remember from last week what happened in 67? The Jews were attacked by all their neighboring nations. They beat the snot out of them and kicked them all back out of the an entire area of Israel, they regained all their ancestral land back, and most importantly, they regained full control of Jerusalem again. The most recent tetrad took place in 2014. Most theologians are now saying they believe this tetrad signaling, signaled the beginning of the rebuilding of the temple. There is now an official committee, part of the government, that's kind of doing things in the background because they don't want to inflame Palestinian um, passions and, and attacks and all that, but they are actually making the temple um, serving bowls and the, and the dishes and everything that goes into temple worship. And if you were here last week, they actually have bred a red heifer again, which is necessary for the purifying of that temple. The red heifer was thought, that bloodline was thought to be extinct. They have now bred a red heifer. So they can sanctify and, and properly um, put this temple back up now. We believe that, that since that red heifer is against bread, we are sitting on the eve, so to speak, of the rebuilding of that temple. Now the third sign from the sky is that, that Jesus said is that stars will fall from the sky. It could be meteors, this could be comets, it could be some sort of, maybe a whole bunch of satellites come down, who, who knows? We know meteors impact us every day. In fact, one exploded over Russia in 2013 and set off a blast that was 30 times more powerful than the Hiroshima bomb. So meteors can cause a lot of damage. More interesting to me, I don't know how, how many of you guys are news junkies like me, but all of a sudden, people are seeing UFOs again. If you grew up during the 70s, you know there were TV shows about pilots and people who saw UFOs. Um, I think it was Leonard Nimoy did In Search Of, and, and a lot of that was about UFOs and all that. Well, that's starting to come back. And, and we're talking about military pilots. We're talking about airline pirates, pilots seeing things in the sky that they can't explain and that the ground radar is telling them isn't there, but they are seeing these things. Now, these guys are not going to be guys that make stuff up because they know that if they start talking crazy, they're never going to fly again. Okay, so the fact that they're willing to come for forward now and talk about these kind of things is very telling to me. There's something going on. And the fourth sign from the sky is that the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This one's a little bit more subtle, I think. And I thought long and hard about this. I'm like, God, does this mean spiritual war? Does this mean like somewhere in the spiritual dimension that there's a battle going on that's, that's shaking the, um, the heavens and that we don't, we don't really discern it here on earth? Well, God just asked me a question. What is the physical power of the heavens? I'm just like, well, gravity, time, um, what are we talking about? Well, what powers life on earth? The sun. How is the sun powered? By thermonuclear reaction, fusion. Two hydrogen atoms bond together to form a helium atom. And he said, well, what on earth is thermonuclear? A bomb? 
I don't know if that's specifically what's going to happen, but most atomic bombs now are thermonuclear bombs, means the fission reaction starts first, sets off a fusion reaction, which makes the bomb ten times more powerful. And I'm not saying this is a thus saith the Lord, this is a John speculating moment, but I think something nuclear will happen somewhere in the heavens. This week in the news, it was very interesting as I was making the sermon, this week in the news, experts said the possibility of a nuclear attack has increased more in the last couple weeks than it has in the last 20 years. And I thought that was strange. And then Vladimir Putin stood before the Russian parliament and said so, that he, that he believes that he could take out the United States with nuclear war now, because we've let our nuclear arms kind of fall into disrepair while they have strengthened all of theirs. Right now, both China and Russia, both nuclear powers, look at the United States and see weakness. They see our culture falling apart on the news. They see a government that doesn't seem to, to want to engage and strengthen our military. And I know from growing up, being a short, shy little kid, that the best way to encourage a bully is by doing nothing and not standing up to them. And that's what they are looking at America right now and seeing is a country that will not stand up for itself. We won't even protect our borders for crying out loud. A lot of experts believe an EMP device, if you detonate one at high altitude over Canada, would wipe out 80% of America's electronics. Everything. From the phone on your, in your pocket to the lights that are on right now, anything with a transistor is permanently damaged and done. It doesn't mean if it's inside of a device or if it's sitting on a shelf as a spare part, that transistor is ruined. And all it would take is an EMP device over Kansas at about 120,000 feet would wipe out most of the central United States. Not wipe it out as in like nuclear blast, but just send us back to the Amish, if you want to look at it that way. Jesus continues his description of the end times in verse 30 by saying, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. I believe he's talking about the rapture right there. The three more signs that are to come, we just read them. The Son of Man will come in the clouds of the heaven. You also see that in, um, in Thessalonians chapter 4. There will be angelic trumpeting, and he will gather the elect. And after giving these signs in Matthew 24, Jesus gives us some application. And he gives us, four, in verses 32 through 44, he gives us four, seven warnings we need to hear, in the, or heed, excuse me, in these last days. So let's look at these seven warnings to us, and I'm almost done here. Warning number one, keep watching for the signs. And you see that in Matthew 24, verse 32. Those who are looking will see the signs. This is why we're doing this series, so we can understand what we're supposed to be looking for. 
The second warning that Jesus gives is that he will return within that generation. This, he says this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Various interpretations of what a biblical generation is. It could be 20, 40, 80 years. And we don't know when the countdown began, but we believe the countdown has definitely begun now. The third warning that Jesus gives is that he will come on a day that no one knows. Verse 36. I alluded to that a few moments ago. That most scholars believe that no one knows the day or the hour. We've said that for years now because of what Jesus said here in, 30, in verse 36. But what we have seen over the last several years are many of the Jewish people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And they have come with their rabbis who have come to faith in Jesus Christ who teach us a little bit more about Jewish tradition. Do you know there is a Jewish holiday called the day that no one knows? I never knew that before I, before I started researching for this message. I mentioned before, you and I live to the Ju- um, according to the Julian calendar. That's based on solar, how long it takes for the earth to go around the sun. Jewish holidays, though, are based on the lunar calendar, on the phases of the moon. Most holidays start a few days or weeks after the first of the month on the Jewish calendar. But one holiday starts on the first day of the month. And since the first day of the month is determined by the new moon, the holiday can't be declared until the new moon is sighted. So in Jewish tradition, they have witnesses that are required to watch the last of the moon disappear. Now, if you think about that new moon, you have a crescent that's disappearing over the horizon. And when they see those last slivers of the moon's light, they report to the chief priest that the new moon is upon us, and right then he declares the holiday has begun. So no one knows when the holiday will start until the chief priest declares it. The Jews name that holiday Yom Tahara, which means a day of blowing or the day that no one really knows. Yom Tahara happens on Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, which is generally our September. So Jesus is, this goes into Jesus' fourth warning here, that those who are not looking will not be ready. He says that they will be eating and drinking just like people did on the days of Noah until it started raining. Those who aren't looking for the return of Christ most likely don't know him. So it's our job to get them ready by telling them about the good news of Jesus. Jesus' fifth warning was to us that we should constantly be watching for him. My translation says, be alert. Other translations say, keep watch. It made me think of, of military guard duty. Guard everything within the limits of your post and quit your post only when properly relieved. That's your first general order. That me, what it means for us today is that we still have a little bit of distance to run with Jesus. We have not been relieved of our duties here on earth. We need to keep walking with him. We need to keep serving him. We need to keep living for him. We need to stay on our post and watch for him. And while others are watching, we are told to be ready. Warning number six. He is ready to return at any moment. 
We've been talking about the signs in the last few weeks, but the rapture isn't dependent on any of these signs. It could happen before I even finish this message today. The entire, we are to be ready. And if you read the next chapter in Matthew 25, it's all about being ready for Jesus' return. And you might ask, well, how can I make sure I'm ready? How how, how do I make sure I'm ready? Well, Matthew 25 is a great one to read, but he tells us in verses 46 and 47, when Jesus said, Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. A servant who is a ready A servant who is ready is a servant who is doing his or her job. For us, it means actively serving the Lord through prayer, service, and sharing our faith and living it before a culture that desperately needs to see the real Christian stand up and show Jesus to people. Warning number seven isn't so much of a warning as a description of the reward you'll receive for being ready. Jesus says, those who are doing their job when he returns will reap a great reward. But the opposite of that is also true. If you're not doing your job, you will receive nothing. 1 Corinthians 3 says, you'll be as one escaping, but only through flames. Let me close here. Friends, in these days, God's doing something in our world. I think we're standing on, a communi- on, on the precipice of one of the greatest harvest times that the church has ever seen. God is building a community. It's a community of people who are related to him by faith, related to one another in love. And he, they exist so that he can bless us, so that through blessing us, we can bless the world. But this community he is setting up is not quite complete. In Matthew 22 and Luke 14, there are twin parables about a king who invites people to his son's wedding feast. It's an allusion to what happens after the rapture. Many refuse the offer of the king. And the king says, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. As I said, I think we're going to we are standing on a time of great harvest, one that will dwarf everything in history. Because God has decreed his house will be filled. And it's not going to look like church as usual. It's not going to be nice middle-class put-together families showing up on our doorstep. It's going to be the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. It might be the guy that just smoked meth. It might be the prostitute who is, who is trying to support her family with her body. It may be something that, that would shock us that they would ever walk through the door. But God will have his house filled. Our job is to be faithful lovers and sharers of his truth and livers of God's truth and share that truth with others. That's what it means to be ready when he comes. 
And this is God's word for us today. Lord, may we receive your word for us today. Let's all rise. Most of us who have studied the Gospels know that Jesus had 12 best friends, essentially, that wandered around with him during his ministry. We know that he had an inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And of that inner circle, Peter was probably one of his best friends on this earth. Peter wrote something for us that I believe is very applicable for us today. And I'm going to read this as our closing prayer and our benediction, if you will. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, Peter tells us, I'm going to pray this over us, that God would place this in each one of our hearts. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you might pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Lord God, may that scripture empower us, guide us, focus us, and help us to live for you in this coming week as we watch for your return. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for coming. If you have any questions, shoot me an email or a text or a call, and I'll try to answer them for you. I know biblical prophecy can be a little challenging at times. God bless you.